Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. co-host Stacy that's at Stacy Pan 89 Stacy how are you doing um well first uh let me ask you a little something KD don't you regret not coming to the Knicks oh <laughs> uh, yeah that was it was it was a fun it was a fun watch it was fun I don't even think Boston played that well but they were just the Nets were so lifeless everything about that game was very satisfying other than the fact that I'm forced to root for the Celtics because um, the Nets are but, just uh, that miserable of a team. I'll say I like I like the Celtics players. I like Ima Yudoka. It's just the historical stuff. Like I hate Paul Pierce. I hate those teams. But I don't yeah, even hate Marcus Smart. Smart. I actually like the way he plays. But I know we differ there. I <laughs> uh, no, I hate Marcus Smart. He can go fuck himself. But like Tatum is legitimately a fun player to watch. Like uh, I like Jalen Brown. I always have so. Yeah, Jason Tatum is a fun player to watch, um, and actually. Uh, very interesting. Our guest today held the belief at the start of the season that Julius Randle was just as good, if not better, than uh, Jason Tatum. Fuck his off, name, man. His name is Tyrese London. That's at London City. Oh, on Twitter. my fucking God. Tyrese, how are you doing? Oh, great. Fun. <laughs> I don't need this. <laughs> Wait, you come into the Schwinden. You get the horns. I don't know yeah. where that. It's a lot of things going on there. But. God, I feel like fucking Villanova against Michigan right now. I just feel Ooh. like I'm Ultimately, I went out. It's okay. Uh, yeah, at least we got there. Uh, all right, but before we get started, I do have to make an announcement that the Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. It also gets you access to the weekly or the mailbag that I do every other week with the Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where you can um, partake in yelling at Tyrese uh, every day if you want, actually. Uh, there are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. You also get access to my solo pods, Trick and Roll, if you want to listen to me yell even more about the Knicks. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like discounts on merchandise, live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, and even potentially hosting a podcast alongside myself and Stacy and Prez, if you want. Uh, but whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So thank you. Uh, and without further ado... Let's get started. Um, all right. Tyrese, I wanted to have you on because I wanted to yell at you a lot. Um, yeah, I figured. Oh. Yeah. So let's, let's get let's get, let's get get moving on this. Um, all right. You know, actually, let's, this is a way to start it. I saw you had a tweet. I don't know when it was. Maybe a couple weeks ago or something at this point. Uh, where you were talking about how the Knicks need to get. Oh, high, pro- high processing players. Yeah, high processing players. 
are I like best are functional processing players. Yeah. yeah. Now and I have to I, defend this tweet. Okay. Oh, and, and, and I agree. Why do you remember all my tweets? I, I I agree with this take of yours extremely. I I I wish I could agree with something. I I couldn't even agree with anything more than that tweet. Um. So I find it very interesting that you believe this, and yet you want to keep Julius Randall on the team, and you think that he is somehow fitting into this high processing, quick processing, however you want to phrase it. Uh, I, I, I just would love like to understand where you're coming from on this. And and kind of on that note, I think like processing itself is kind of not a loaded term, but uh, like what's your definition of it? I think would help. I think it's the ability to like just make decisions, the right decisions, in a certain amount of time. You can make quick decisions, but you could also make like the quick wrong decision. If that makes any sense. You can be methodical and still be a right. quick processor. I think that's true. Okay, yeah. I think. I'm going to talk about last year a lot because it makes my argument. I'll also talk about a little bit the Nola days as well. Um, with Julius, I think he plays best in sp- um, pace. I think we can all agree on that. I think, like, I think he has skill. Like, I'm not saying he's unskilled or anything like that. So, like, I think he plays best with spacing. He plays best with skill. He plays best with like being able to play um, in a situation where he gets like run the floor and everything. I think we saw it like on the West Coast trip where like he was basically pushing the pace and he was getting like 30 every game fairly efficiently. It was like around 59, 58, 59 true shooting for like that stretch and everything. And it wasn't even like he had the jumper going. It was basically just like he was taking the opportunity to push the ball on the floor, being a bowling ball, and just getting to the line like nine times a game. I'm not saying he's going to do that every game, but I think there's a world where like you could have a Julius Randle who just plays in a system where he gets to run the floor a decent amount. He gets to make decisions with the ball in his hand because he can pass to, like, open shooters. He can collapse defenses and make those reads. I don't think that's a problem. I think it's when he, like, grinds it out and thinks he's fucking, like, <clears throat> Charles Barkley in the post. I think that's the problem. But I think you want him in a situation where, like, you minimize those attempts as much as possible. You put him in a situation where he, like, is playing with pace and space. And you have, ideally, somebody alongside him who could, like, handle the ball for a certain amount of time as well in order to, like, get him in situations where he's, like, just reacting. But even, I, even when he did play in space, right, or pace, you know, they had that one-and-a-half-month stretch, don't you get the feeling like he kind of predetermines what he's going to – like, he almost always looks for Fournier on that – um you know, like, he'll push the ball, and then he's looking to turn around and kick it to Fournier for the trailer three, right? I think that's fair, but all of a sudden, sound like, Fournier is a very good shooter, so, like, he's the guy on the team. Like, he was basically, in that lineup, he was basically the guy who, like, would take the the threes, you know, like... Yeah, but, I mean, you'd like him to have more complex reads, I guess. I would like that, him... Right? Then again, like, giving him complex reads, a lot of that, I think, determines, like, shooting on the roster. Um, Like, what, when you... Oh, I think the lineups he played with was, like, Kemba... What the fuck is Kemba really gonna do? Um, like it was Burks, it was Fournier, like it was Burks, Fournier, and RJ, and then Mitch. I would like to see him more, make more reads to the bigs, but then again, like this entire front, like this entire team, starting with RJ and quickly don't make reads to the bigs, which is annoying. But that's, Fournier does too. I'll throw yeah, that. Yeah, okay, yeah, actually, yeah, that's my bad. Fournier probably is the best at making reads to the big, but in my in any case, my point is basically like I think he predetermines his reads a little bit. But they're still good reads, and they're still effective, and he's still able to, like, collapse defenses. And I've seen him, like, and we definitely have seen him, like, change reads, pivot, and, like, dump off to the big, or, like, dump off to, like, another shooter in the corner or whatever. So even if they're predetermined, they're still, like, good reads. I think there's a universe where 
I can fucking feel Schwinn like adjusting in his seat right now, getting ready. Um, <clears throat> uh, pause. But <laughs> come on, are you guys together? Oh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> hey man, hey, I'm a committed man. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so. I think there is a universe where, like, he's not going to be Obi-level of, like, just really fucking quick decisions all the time. But I think that with him having an average S jumper, like, this jumper was fucking bad this year after being elite last year. And I think if he finds, like, a happy medium with that, because I also think that that also speaks up his decision making as well. Like, when he's confident in his jumper, his decision making is, like, very quick. That's true. So, like, you saw it, especially towards the tail end of last year, where, like, he was really confident with the pull-up. He would literally like pull up eighteen, uh, six seconds to shot clock, bring the ball to court, pull up, hit three, get back. Like, I think his jumper increases his processing. If that makes any sense? Because when he's I, not confident in his jumper, you can tell. And when he's confident in his jumper, he's willing to let that shit fly. I think that's true, and I think I even noticed it. Why are we believing that he's going to be confident in his jumper? I think if the jumper is average enough, he will take more shots. But when the he's not confident in the jumper, then I think he kind of just thinks a little bit more, and he's like, I don't want to take this shot, you take this shot, somebody else take this shot, I'm not taking this shot. I and think, the, go ahead, sir. I just, and this is what we want to, we're, we're good with betting on this, this is like, this is the move to, to bet on the guy who has not actually shot the ball all that well over his career, except for one season. Um, we're betting on, like, that. that's what we're doing here? I mean, I want to say, okay, he was a decent, like, I think he's been a solid mid-range shooter since Noah. I think, I, have to, I can pull up the numbers on that real quick, but I'm pretty sure he's been, like, he's around. Been, he's been okay. He's been pretty okay. Okay, so, like, if he's a, let's say, average three-point shooter, solid in the mid-range, like, solid enough in the mid-range, he probably needs to take less of them and get to the rim more, but, like, again, I think there's a way, especially with coaching, where you could, like, maximize Julius Randle. And I feel like my stance on Julius Randle has been, He's a player that, if you maximize, can do a lot of different things very well. But he's as good as your floor and as high as your ceiling. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. There's a couple of things I, I'll add. Um, one, he did actually change his shot profile this year. Yeah, um, I think he was, uh, I can pull up the numbers real quick, but he was closer to 254. Like, like he was 254 at the rim, 137 in the mid range. Maybe, uh, well, 137, um, 10 to 16. And then he, he slightly upped his three-point rate, actually, a little bit. Yeah, he's at 313. Um, the downside is, I mean, I would contest the idea that he's been a, a good mid-range shooter. Um, his first two years in New York, he was 40. He was in the mid-40s or, or low 40s. He's, he was 43-9 uh, from 10 to 16 feet, 43-4 from 10 to 16 the last two years before this one. Uh, and then from 16 feet to the three-point line, he was 35.8 his first year in New York. Yeah, the 35.4. Yeah, the fucking 16. This like the long mid-range. It was like his shot last year, and that shot dipped. And I think that's why where the mid-range has like dipped for him in general. But like, but even the even, short mid-range is fine. I feel like if he turned a lot of those like 16 to three-point shots into like close, like a step closer to the basket, or just like going to the rim in general. Um, I feel that, again, like, I don't, I get the idea, like, I, I completely understand people who want to, like, trade Rando, and, like, I get the sentiment, but for me, I feel like there's a talented player in there who can do a lot of things that are But that, I mean, that's yeah. not really the only question here, though, right, because, um, so, there, we talked about the shooting, right? What if I told you his backup, according to Darko DPM, and if you want to 
downplay that, you can. Uh, Obi's like true shooting right now, true shooting. His like expected three point shooting is 35.6. Randall is about 32.9. So already there's an argument. Now, Obi's not, doesn't have a pull up game, doesn't have a mid range game. There's already an argument that catch and shoot threes, Obi's at least at that level. Um, and then we're talking about kind of the processing and the ability to, to be used in the short role more. And I do agree Randall is much more effective in that way. But oh, but if we're going to use a player like that at the four, do we want to pay that player AAV $26 million for the next four year when we have a guy who's effective, at least that's more effective at some of those things um, in OB? And also you don't have the motor issues. Um, I mean, I think that's the real debate, right? Even if you think Randall is much more talented than he's shown this year, ultimately his role is going to be very similar to what Ovi has already shown that he thrives in at a much lower cost. I think my counter to that would be like, I, I think Randall can do what Ovi does, but I think there's also like, how, wait, wait, no, no wait. okay, let's let, 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 hear me out, hear me out. Hear, oh, no, I'm talking about no, 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 Randall would have to fundamentally change his entire approach to how he plays offensively to do what Obi does. Like, absolutely not. That is not. No, that's. A but the counter to that is that in New Orleans he did play that way. No, he didn't. Yes, he, he did. did. He, no, he, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, 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 no. Hold on. Yes, he did. Did he do more big man things? Did he roll to the rim more and all? Yes, absolutely. That does not that that is not what Obi does. Obi does That's so not much all more Obi than does. that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Obi does way more than that. And and even when he was in New Orleans, Randall has always been a terrible. He's he's always been a turnover machine because he is not a good processor and because he has a tendency to hold on to the ball and try to draw double teams for way too long before he makes a decision. He is not he's not a good decision maker, and that bears out in his turnover numbers. Throughout his career, um, I completely reject the idea that he can do what Obi does because I think it completely minimizes what Obi does is actually very difficult. What would can, be those other things that specifically you'd highlight about Obi's game? I mean, there's a reason why the team's assist percentage skyrocketed when Obi was on the floor this year. They went from like 56 and a half assist percentage when he's off the floor to to 61 and a half when he's on. Um, Could that be makes, better point guard play? Maybe playing more with quickly and I, that I think that that might help, but I, I think um, it has more to do with or it has a lot to do with how Obi plays. He changes the way the Knicks play the game. You can see this in his starts. You watch the sh- again. I have said this on multiple pods. I'm going to continue saying it. I would highly encourage anybody to go back and watch the games that we played against Miami and Charlotte this year and compare the the one start that Obi got against both of those teams versus the other games where Randall started. And you can literally, you will visually see the difference. You will visually see the difference of how Obi influences the play without necessarily racking up numbers or assists or whatever. He speeds up the game. He gets the Knicks into multiple actions. He gets the ball moving side to side. He gets multiple players involved. He like, runs the. I mean, he probably has so many assists he doesn't get credited with. I would call an assist because if he runs the, if he runs like he does, he draws a guy or two that frees open Grimes or Fournier as a trailer, right? Because the defense is even when he doesn't even get the ball. Also, how often you see him get an early seal, um, and then this is without like on those DHOs. I think he needs to switch it up a little bit more. But like that movie has where he'll like dribble the ball, fake the handoff, and then go right to the rim. 
Um, the thing is, like, you talk about Randall trying to get to the rim more, but Obi also had to play with paint bound centers for the most part, right? And that wasn't as much of an issue for him. Even, I mean, he's not, he's not the, the ball handler that Julius Randall is, but he finds ways to get there. And like, because of his craft and athleticism and body control at the rim, he's even a better finisher uh, at this point, um, especially in traffic, right? Because he can just hang in the air. Like, there's so many times I see him go to the, and like, he, besides Cam, he's the best at kind of like finding those little cracks, like in the crowded paint. Because there's so many times I've seen him go into the paint. I'm like, oh man, this is a charge. And then he'll just kind of glide in the space, like do an up and under or something and make some crazy finish. And, um, you know, I think that those things matter a lot. Um, and it's just stuff that Julius Randle isn't an above the rim guy. He draws a lot of fouls. Um, and I think like if he ran the floor like Obi and he got those early seals, the few times he's done that, it's been very effective, but he doesn't do that. So you're betting on the shot. You're betting on his motor and his attitude changing, not just beyond what we saw this year. But beyond what we've seen from him in his career, um, I do think the fact that he plays 36 minutes doesn't help with that. I think if he played 30, that would be a lot better. But that goes back to the point that if Tibbs is coming, then a universe where you have both Tibbs and Randall on the roster is, um, is not very encouraging. So here's just a stat. Uh, Randall averaged 3.25 seconds per touch. Um, Obi Toppin, 1.47. So forgetting what they even do with the ball when they have it. Like, you're talking about... Like, Randall has been here now for three years, and he has never done any of... He has never played in the way that he played in New Orleans or his last year in L.A. Um, is some of that because we don't have a spread five look? Sure, some of it can be related to Some that. of it is also... we Like, last year he needed to do that. RJ wasn't ready. Quickly for all his the great things he did was still kind of ideally a guy who played a little bit more off ball or off another initiator. Um, and then Randall didn't get a ton of minutes with Rose, but I think he was willing to defer more. Um, so I think with improved talent, I think there is an argument that he would change a little bit more, but that's part of the reason they got Pornier and he really didn't adapt that well to that either. Or even Kemba, who at least early in the year, at least had the capability to do certain things. And it still turned into a lot of Randall post up ISOs. but sorry, go ahead, Sean. Yeah, no, I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I completely agree with that. He, he didn't show an ability to adapt this year back, back to more of a, I don't want to say more of a traditional big man, but he, he didn't really change his usage to off ball motion, post yeah, up, it just, it just setting, those kind it, of things. Yeah, yeah it, it wasn't there. And, um, you know, I don't know why I should believe that he will change. I, I don't. I really don't like. I, I, I mean, what what he did this year was like. I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like he was just atrocious across the board. I I can't think of one element of his game that I would be like, well, that was good. I, I really can't. I mean, what did he do well this year? Pout, cry. Well, I will say, leader? like, I don't know. I mean, he his. So we talked about the turnovers, right? His turnovers, I believe, didn't really increase from last year. Uh, and they haven't really increased that much despite increased usage, even from New Orleans, right? Uh, he still had a 5.1 to 3.4 assist to turnover ratio. But I think to your earlier point, part of what diminishes that, it looked a lot better last year because, but the part of it is at least that, um, he's, he's absorbing more usage. So would be turnovers maybe are turning into, 
perhaps not ideal looks, either for mid-range or, you know, kind of a forced attempt at the rim. Like, I think he gets his shot blocked a pretty fair amount as well. So, um, but I do think you have to weight the fact that he has improved his assists. And, like, if we're going to talk about the turnover stuff, we do have to acknowledge that his playmaking, even this year, was still, like, he averaged five assists a game. So Who cares? Still- like, I, I'm, like, I honestly, I don't give a fuck. He averaged five assists a game because he has the ball 7,000 times a game. Like, he, of course he's going to get assists. But it didn't. It didn't result in an uptick in turnovers. It might have resulted in an uptick in bad shots, which you can argue is maybe as bad. But that's what I'm saying. Like that's that's worth the, like mitigating point. It, it's only worth it if the assists matter. Like he didn't play well. I mean, and I know you're not arguing that he did, and you're trying to like be nuanced. And really, all I'm saying is like I don't particularly give a fuck. Like he played like a jackass and an asshole, and he. Left his teammates out to. He hung his teammates out to dry constantly. He moped. He he was awful. And and we like to Tyrese's point about like betting on him. He had one amazing year, and it was an amazing year. He was incredible. I, I don't want to like diminish that. I don't think it makes any sense to. Um, he got All NBA, which he deserved. He got the Most Improved Player, which he clearly deserved. He was an all-star, which he clearly deserved. Like, all of these accolades he got were absolutely 100% correct at the time. I think it was the right decision at the time to renew his contract. I don't think it, it would have sent out a really bad message to the team if they had traded him. And I don't think it made sense to go into the season without signing him, right? There's just a lot of risk there for a variety of reasons. So I... I we can sit in hindsight and say that it was a bad decision. Or if you were one of the few people that, that was sitting there at the time, shout out State NYK Pod, uh, that were saying it was a terrible choice to sign him, then kudos to you. Uh, but for the most part, I think most everybody was like, that, that's a good move. But ultimately, like if we look at his career, the totality of his career is this is a guy who doesn't play defense very well exhibits weird like it seems to allow frustration to affect his overall efforts um let's not forget his first year in new york where basically all of us were trying to figure out for like six months of lockdown trades to move julius randall like this is the reality of what it was after his first year in new york and yes he had this amazing season but he turned into a fucking pumpkin this year so we have three years of sample size just in New York, okay? Because let's be honest, I don't think any of us was crunching uh, Pelicans and Lakers tape back in the day uh, just to study Julius Randle. Pres was. We have, okay, all right. Well, that's because you love Julius. Um, I said Prez was. Oh, Prez? No, Prez, Prez is just Prez is, Prez is, Prez is insane. just insane. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> it was me and Prez. Anyway, yeah, continue. But, but – like we have three years of evidence of what he is as a player and how he operates with his teammates and all these things, like what his habits are. And I, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a guy who for two of his three years in New York, we have wanted to trade him or let's, let me rephrase for two of his three years in New York. He has not exactly endeared himself to the fans with his play. Um, and this year, I mean, burned out, what should have been a ton of goodwill, he burned that by what January. Like it's just, I just don't understand the the argument to keep him, especially when you watch Obi 
and you watch how he Obi plays and how he fits alongside the guys who are more important to the franchise's long-term future than Julius fucking Randall. Like if Julius Randall, the only argument for Julius Randall staying is effectively to me, if you believe that he can change his game and rewire his game so much that he now will again play with great pace and he will be more, he's willing to be more of a a cog and a cohesive unit uh, where guys are swinging the ball, like swinging the ball side to side and, and moving and like, I just think it, it's and it's shooting a, better. I mean, he's, yeah. he has to shoot. He has to make more shots. Period. And, and not just shooting better, but shooting quicker. Like not fucking getting the ball and then having to you know wait for the defender to close out on him, jab step fifteen times before he does something. Like sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except he's not as good as that guy was. Um, but like, it's just you know I, I don't know. Like I I don't see it because I I mean I don't know about you guys, but for me. And this, again, this really, as I'm like randomly rewatching games throughout the season, um, it like. It, Have you watched them three times yet, though? No, I haven't, unfortunately. This, I'm only on my first rewatch, so. You're a mascot for rewatching this season at all, yeah. by the way. In, in, a, in, a few, in a few months, I'll be educated enough to talk to Tom Thibodeau about the season. Um, just, just pull up on Derek's flight. You'll be right there <laughs> But, like, it's, it's just palpable when you're watching this season, like, these games again how much of a drain he was. And and then, like, literally, as soon as he checks out of games, you it's, like, exciting to watch the team. And it, obviously, at the end of the season, when he's sitting out games, and then you see how they played. And it wasn't just, like, because Obi was shooting better, right? Like, I, I really despise that, that, that idea that, like, it's just because Obi shot better. No, it's not just because of that. It's because of how he played and how the team played stylistically you know and and i just i have no desire to go back to you know to to believe in julius rewiring his game and becoming less of an iso specialist whatever the fuck he's become in new york um you know i just i just don't care because we have this guy who already plays the things. way yeah. yeah he does these things and then on top of that i also like the idea that if you get rid of julius it probably forces tibbs and in a lot, it'll force him to play Cam at the four. And that's another thing. If you rewatch the games again, because there was that stretch where Obi missed time, Cam at the four, that was a really fun. That was a fun look. That was, that was pretty cool to see. Not just look, look around. We created this. We, we, we created Yeah, this. exactly. But it's, it's just like, I, I did, I did say Cam at the four will work. And you were like, no, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it'll work. It's fucking well, he also plays him with RJ. So I think yeah. they, they have complementary skill sets at the four, right? Like, Cam gives you the length if you have kind of one of those stretch four types or the guys who are versatile. And, and then RJ is better as a rebounder and kind of more of the physical play, right? So, so when you play them together, they're kind of interchangeable at the four and three, right? Because they can yeah, both play those. They're wings. Like that's, that's the league. The league is just a bunch of rangy wings. As long as you have rangy wings, you basically could play them anywhere you really want to. Um, but kind four, of... Believe it. Anyway. Um, the other thing I'll add, so there is another part of the ball we've talked about less. <laughs> because here's the thing. I think Obi's defense is still a bit of a kind of, it's it's a little bit tough to, it's nebulous. Uh, like anything else he does on the court, he plays his ass off. Um, there's very few times I've seen where it's just a question of effort with him. Uh, but the reality is, and you've also seen flashes of him being able to move his feet, uh, which was a huge weakness. But he did, I mean, 
we could not put him on Danilo Gallinari in the playoffs last year. That was not a great matchup, right? There's still those, like, it's as far as switching, or you don't want him ever playing drop coverage. And then if you telegraph that you're going to hedge with him every time, that's also problematic against good offenses. But what he does offer, and shout out Larry Israel, because I'm going to clarify the point I was making on Twitter, is that he offers secondary rim protection. He averaged a block per 36. Does that make him a rim protector? No, I'm not arguing that he's Mitchell Robinson or Rudy Gobert or something like that. But his role is not usually to stand in the paint and just keep his hands up. What he's good at is as a weak side rim protector, right? If he's in, if he's on the corner, he moves his, he, he runs really hard. He's a pretty smart guy. And once he, once it's just him and a guy at the rim, that's a matchup you take a lot of the time because he jumps really high. He's got like a seven, two wingspan. Um, and he's going to contest everything. And he's, he's actually got a pretty good understanding of verticality. However, that's really a team defensive thing. And as many people will point out, in the playoffs, the isolations become more important. There are matchups. Matchups are important, right? We can argue that maybe it's overblown by like the the ball don't stop crowd, but it probably is undervalued by people who act like team defenses everything. And that's something Julius gives you. So how do you weight those two things against each other? And Tyrese, I think both of but me and Shuin have been talking a lot, so I'm going to give you the first crack at, at that question. Um, I think. I would say. Oh, and sorry, there's one other thing. On top of that, also, there's a difference where Julius is probably a better rebounder. Obi does leak a lot. I think he's been unfairly. The people who are like Obi deniers are like, well, he leaks, he cherry picks, so that's how he gets all his buckets. But the Knicks' defensive rebounding percentage doesn't take a huge hit with Obi on the floor. I think there's about a one point. It improved over the course of the season. It was a lot worse at the start of the season, and then it steadily improved. Yeah, so I think he does a pretty good job of picking his spots, right? Um, and knowing when he can leak. And then he's so fast that even if he does get like not even an early start, he is able to earn people. How do you weigh that as well against Julius probably being a better rebounder and maybe being a little better at grabbing and going? Um, honestly, I think it's like, I think OB just has more potential as a, um, a defensive presence. I think there's more potential there because, again, you said the, um, the weak side. Shot, um, we start with protection, but he doesn't have Randall's agility, or right? Like... He doesn't have like ability, like to switch ability because, like, Randall can literally switch one to five. Um, it's it's like I kind of like both qualities of them. Like, I have to kind of hedge on this, and I hate doing that, but I just feel like Randall's ability to like switch one to five when he like he gives a fuck, and I hate the fact I have to say he gives a fuck, but when he gives a fuck, like, you saw it, he could stick with like anybody in the league, and Obi probably would never get to that level of like footwork and that level that level of like agility, especially going side to side. But Randall would never have like Obi's ability to just like leap and block. Even though we saw, like, I think Randall was better as um a shot blocker this year. Like he definitely took some steps there, but like ultimately it wasn't as much as you would want to see. Uh, I know you have your opinions about like shot blocking at the four and everything, but like yeah, it was. Or help defense, I would just right, like help say, right? Right, like you want the ability for like your four to be able to like help defense and everything. So I feel like Obi kind of fits that mold a little more. But I feel like with Julius being able to just like like that switch ability, I think I value that really highly because then like you have he has like legitimate like at the five lineups where I feel like you could just put in you could just switch one to five, especially with like the team of like your grind, your can, your RJ, you have all these guys who can switch. Deuce, IQ. come on, Deuce. man. Yes, yes. Don't forget my guy. Oh, we got to talk about Deuce because you and Jeremy just dismissing. But sorry, keep going. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about a lot of the uh, the trade shit later. But um, I'm still getting ratio on that. 
I believe that's right. Um, I shouldn't. I, 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 if I, I, I totally am the reason you got ratioed. I, you and Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sleeping, and I'm just like, no bad tweet. Like, dude, dude, I'm not saying I want to do this. I'm just saying I think that's what happened. Anyway, we'll talk about it later. Um, but yeah, I think Julius's ability to switch one through five is very potent. I feel like. If you could tap into that more, especially with lineups at the five, I feel like you could make it work. I think with like a Cam especially, like I think Cam has some strides with like a weak cyber protector. So you, I feel like with that and Julius could be really potent. I want to see that next year if he's on the team, of course. But yeah, and how yeah, much yeah. can you bet on the motor? Like, do you think it's fair to say that if Julius played thirty minutes instead of thirty six, and maybe Tibbs will never do this, but do you think if he did play thirty minutes or twenty eight? He, you would see him give more consistent effort. I think it's less about the motor and more about the offense. Like, what I've seen, and I think you guys probably would agree with this, when Julius' offense is really good, his defense usually picks up a lot. I think that's a fair uh, assessment to make. I See, like, <laughs> that was, like, my anecdotal belief. And as I'm, again, more watching these games, I just see no correlation of it at all. Like, it, it's just it, a season I, of him not giving a fuck. Okay. All right, that's fine. And, that's fine. and maybe, and look, maybe, who knows? Like, it's not, like it, his season was so bizarre that I would like to believe, not that I would like to believe, but I would hope that there was maybe something going on that we don't know about that, you know, it's just fucked him up. But like, but we don't know. that. That's ultimately, we can only judge on what we saw. And what we saw was a total regression from him Forget the offense, right? Because you can miss shots and you can have a shitty decision-making season. Whatever. That, that's, that's more acceptable for me. But the fact of like him not... He just completely didn't control any of the things that are controllable. Like, you can control effort. You can control giving a shit on defense, you know? Like, there's no excuses to not do those things. Um, whereas like, if you miss shots, you miss shots, you know, that that's not really under your control in the same way. Um, and, and it, he just didn't do it. And then like, like, and it is frustrating because I agree with you. Like when he's locked in and he's giving a shit on defense, I've, I've said this before, I will stand by it. Like, I think he's like an actual weapon defensively when he gives a shit because he is very switchable. He's got great feet and he's strong as hell. So if you put him out on switches, it's not like guys can just. Hell, we were bully. like we were like copying him to Draymond last year. Last year was like a fever dream thinking about it. It was like basically, yeah, he's basically offensively powered Draymond. Like, yeah, he, all mean, our analysis just looks so garbage. <laughs> yeah, but like his his defense was legitimately awesome. It was and, great last year, and it was it's like you know he still had, and this is fine. But yeah, the, and this is fine because like when you carry a heavy offensive load, I understand that you're not going to be giving a, you're not going to give it a hundred percent on every possession on defense right like i understand that that's part of the nature of like being a high usage star in the nba right like i know that like tatum is going off right now on both ends of the floor but you know he's in what year five of his career and i know he's been a good defender graded out as a good defender throughout his career they've been a good defense star his career i promise you if you go and watch every celtics game of his career there are plenty of times that jason tatum is hanging out you know, like he's not exactly maxing. We out were basically defense. like saying like Jason Tatum overdosed defender until like the second half of the season. Yeah, and and it's like my point is like I understand that's the nature of being a high usage star, but so like last year, even when he was good on defense, there were still plenty of possessions where he was like 
no, nah, I'm not going to rotate out to this guy. Let's just see if he makes the shot or not. Like, we, we saw that. And it was acceptable because it was within that kind of, like, acceptable amount of times he was doing it. This year, it was just, like, it was every possession, every game. There was, you know, no willingness to make extra rotations. It's just, it's just bad. It was just bad from him all around. And, you know, like... I, I'm going to bet that he's going to care again. And it's just, it's a lot for me to, to get wrap my head around. Um, and I, I will say like, if we had a different coach, then I'd be a little bit more open to bringing back Randall, because I think that like, if Ty Lue was our coach, I think for one, we would have seen a lot of Julius at the five already. We would have definitely seen Julius and Obi get a lot of minutes together. A lot of coaches, not just Ty Lue, and people would be like, well, you can't compare Tubbs to one of the best coaches in the NBA. I think a lot of, most coaches in the NBA, if they had the same roster the Knicks had this year, would have played Julius. My dude, that's the fucking stupid thing, because like last year he was coaching the year. Would have so played like, Julius what? Yeah. Sorry, what did you say? Please I, that, they would, that he would have played Julius and Obi together a bunch. You know, oh. like, I, I just think that, like that's not, it's it's not like, people act like it's this outlandish, like, super crazy thing that, most like it's like not that crazy, man. Like, like the Celtics are out here playing fucking Grant Williams and Al Horford together. Like, really? Like, you can't try. Yeah, Randall but both of those are Grant Williams is more switchable than Obi and Al Horford. You can depend on on defense. There's no, nobody. Nobody was talking about Grant Williams being this switch monster defense guy. That was his profile out of college, uh, and he wasn't just, that good. But at he's, still, it he's more mobile. Now. He's more mobile and agile than that's the thing with Obi, right? He's 99 percentile vertical athlete and horizontal speed um i think with ob is yeah like he he just he doesn't have that agility as a high hips he he maximizes as much as he can without it because of his effort but i mean that is a thing right and with horford the horford and randall are not comparable for all the reasons you mentioned so yeah but like my point is if you can play guys like that of that profile six whatever the fuck they are like horford is 610 and grant williams is what six Six, eight. Seven. Yeah, I six seven. Like, I think really. yeah, whatever whatever he is, like it's just not that outlandish to think that Julius Randall and Obi Toppin playing together in the year twenty twenty two should have been like a viable option that we attempted. Um, yeah, so I just, I just, I, it's really frustrating. But the reality is, and you know, this is what it is. Like we can sit here and say, well, if, you know, fuck Tibbs. Tibbs is here. Okay, like Tibbs is going to be here. So. It doesn't really matter. Which is fucking you. stupid, man. Like, I, I bitch about this enough with the postgame pod. Me and Sam have tweeted about this way, way too much. But, like, I just hate the fact that, like, a lot of these roster decisions are made with the fact that, like, at least for half of the season, Tibbs is going to be here next year. And I feel like that kind of just changes how we think about, like, what we want to do with the roster. I feel like if we thought Tibbs would be fired, I feel like there'd be more nuanced conversation. But the fact that Tibbs is coming back, guaranteed, or at least for the start of the season next year, kind of just makes it so that now we have to like change the roster to fit Tibbs, even though we really shouldn't be doing so. You know. But even even when even if Tibbs was gone, right? I think it it still comes back to the role we want is what pretty ideally suited for Obi. That's the role they're best in. So what is the case for keeping a guy? Because I think if you look at how much Randall gets, he's paid like a top 40 player. So that's not a, some elite player. So again, I don't think this contract is as disastrous as a lot of people make it out to be. But um, how many guys, I, I, my, my thing is also like, I think the bigger you get, the more problematic it is when you don't add value on defense at that level. Uh, if you're a guard, 
and you're like, and if you're really a top 10 or top 20 guard, that means that you're an elite offensive player if you're sub 6'5 and you do that. If you're a wing, uh, but even the wings, like if you, Tatum, um, Paul George, um, you know, Jalen Brown, um, even Luka's not terrible on defense, and maybe you guys disagree, but he was part of a pretty elite, elite defensive team that didn't really have a rim protector. So those guys all add some value on defense. And if the, and then I think from fours and fives, like you have to be a plus defender, period. Um, otherwise, it's just, it's tough to see you being that kind of player, um, you know, where like, even if even if you are an efficient offensive player, which Julius isn't right now, yeah, no, I mean, and he's being paid, and he's being paid, maybe not like a Paul George, but he's being paid like a top thirty, top forty I mean, player. Did, like you have to add value like on John as a big. Collins. What he's being paid like a John Collins, a Jalen Jackson, those types. Like, I think what what his NBA salary right now is it's going to dip too. Like especially next year when everybody gets extended, but like right now. Getting paid like I believe a top. Uh, I'm gonna check his like contract on Twitter real quick. Let me check. But the way his contract shakes out, it's like top eight, top nine for like top his position. So yeah, I mean, but I still think those guys. Even Collins is not a good defender, but he's. I mean, he gives you. He gives you like he he can jump. Um. And and they, they do kind of optimize around him. So maybe if you did optimize around Julius, it would be worth it. But finding a guy like Trey Young is not exactly easy, as the Knicks have found out the hard way. Um, and then it still comes back to if the, the consequences of that are you're blocking Obi for more minutes, you're blocking, as Shun and you both mentioned, Cam at the four, RJ at the four minutes. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of cost to it, to keeping him around. Even if even if he didn't have all of these other issues we mentioned with you know the motor and all of that, the NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big too. New customers can bet just one dollar on any team and get one hundred fifty dollars in free bets if they win. That's right, a bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy con- Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot and millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details, which I'm going to read to you now, and I probably shouldn't have read that part. All right. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. That's in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Wyoming. You can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire, 888-789-7777, or visit http ccpg.org slash chat. Uh, that's in Connecticut, 1-800-BETS-OFF, Iowa, 1-877-770-STOP, uh, and that or text seven eight seven eight six seven for LA eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine New York. Visit opgr.org 
that's in Oregon, call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee or 1-888-532-3500 for Virginia. Must be 21 plus or 18 and over in New Hampshire and Wyoming. Physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See HTTP DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. I will say, like, there's also, like, another reason why you have to consider, like, keeping him around because trade season is coming and approaching us soon. And do you want to talk about the, uh, the Donnie? Donnie, uh, yeah, I mean, look, this is this is the other thing too. Is um, you know, if you're ultimately trying to add another star into the mix, which they um, will be, mind you, which yeah, they will like be, a, like a higher usage player, um, you have to consider who has who is scalable and and who fits in that role, and like. That to me is just so obviously Obi over Randall. Probably like, is like Randall as an asset. Obi as an asset. Like part of that, like part of my reasoning with like this thing, like keeping Randall, and I think ultimately they will keep him because I think that when they do make, I, I think they make a trade this offseason because I feel like they're probably okay. They're, I feel like if Donovan Mitchell is available, they get Donovan Mitchell. Is that a, is that like a fair thing to say? Because I feel like I don't really see... I mean, I think they'll be very motivated to get down to Mitchell. No. And you think in that case they keep Randall? Um, I, my think problem keep, with that... I think keep Randall because, like, Obi's probably going out of the deal. But um, in that case, I'm not sure, A, that's true, because Utah does have quite a few power forward bigs. Not really. I mean, like, Pascal's expiring. Oh, they like Royce O'Neal a lot. Royce O'Neal is, like, a three, though, and again, he has, like, he's $8 million. Like, you can definitely get him back in the deal, if anything. I'm like... If you look at like the you know, like the cap space like they have right now, like Bojan is expi- um really deep expiring. He's getting older. I doubt like, they actually like want to extend him. They probably want to like trade him for something. Uh but yeah, like, that's their four. Their four is Bogdan Bogdanovich. Juan Hernan Gomez. Like, does it matter? Like, they really do not have like stuff at the four long term. And I feel like if they're going to trade and blow it up, I feel like getting Obi back in the deal makes a lot of sense for them. And why wouldn't they want Randall in that case? Because I feel like if they're going to, if you're going to trade Donovan Mitchell, consider that they're a tax team and they're like knee deep in the tax right now. I feel like at that point they kind of just want to get younger, cheaper, and they want just like assets and young players over like getting somebody who's like realistically a reclamation project right now. Can can you just just list out the trade that you believe would be the Knicks' offer? I think this is probably what the Jazz will want, and Press kind of talking about. He's like, hey, if nobody else can offer what that what you're offering, you're probably going to be able to like save a little bit on the trade or whatever. But basically, um, I'm going to read off the trade now. So they get Donovan Mitchell. The Knicks send out Fournier, Capfiller, Toppin, quickly. The lotto pick this year, the 223 first, and I was like, Justin Spiller, maybe 25 swap. It wasn't a swap option, but like, yeah. So can, can you summarize, like, the, how many picks is that? So three, it would be the lotto pick this year, the 223 picks, and like a 2025 swap, let's say. And then quickly an OB would be the main players going out. Basically, yes. How do you match salary? 
Yeah, that's um Fournier. Fournier Fournier makes it um seven in match. Okay. Um I guess the question is so you have you'd still have RJ. You still have RJ, you still have Deuce, you still have um Cam, Sims Grimes. Grimes. <laughs> the question would be um, so you can ma- you can make another move. Is your vision that like next year Mitchell and Randall kind of, Randall has a resurgence? RJ takes another step, maybe. Yes. And basically, you have Mitchell. Basically, I'm basically I'm basically banking on the fact that like Mitchell takes a lot of like use to drop for RJ. Um, takes a lot of use to drop for um, Randall. Puts RJ in a situation where he doesn't need to be like the facilitator when Randall doesn't have it going. And again, I buy Mitchell's playmaking. Me and Mo talk about this a lot. Like Mitchell as a playmaker is taking a lot of leaps, even though you see the stat where like, oh, he doesn't pass Gobert, yeah, blah blah blah. Like, no, he has. Mo's done a good job. Yeah. But I guess the question is, so I think there's an upside to that. And then I would imagine your eventual next move, you would want to pair Mitchell with a true star. So would you be moving RJ or Randall in that next move if it's well? Part, part of the reason why I like want to give the 2023 first is because by the end of that trade, like by and the end of next year, you have control of all your picks. Which is like a very big thing when you have like a star on the roster and having control of your picks in order to trade is like very very potent. So you would trade a lot of pick this year, which is not going to play in the rotation unless you like make significant moves. You trade your twenty twenty three picks and you have second round picks in both years in order to like trade back into the first. Have you seen like what Memphis has done recently? Where like they will trade up to like twenty eight to thirty, get that pick, and be able to like get the fourth year on like any rookie they want. And the Knicks have I think seven first round picks in the next two years. And they have like a bunch of sec- um, second round picks, or, or seven second round picks in the next two years, and like a bunch of second round picks further from like the cam trade, from other salary dumps and stuff like that. So my idea is basically, they have the means to like get first if they really need them. They'll just be lower first. So like instead of getting let's say, let's say the Mavericks first next year is going to be like twenty four, you can probably get like twenty nine, and I don't feel like that's a big dip. Um, I feel like they could trade into the first this year because, like, I think the Spurs have three picks and OKC has three picks. Like, these guys, like, all those teams are not making all those picks. So I feel like you can probably get a late first from from a team if you really wanted to. How Alondis okay. Williams? Yeah, like, you can get a late first if you trade away some of your seconds, and I feel like you have the means to like get more quote unquote young talent on the roster that you want to develop if you can. So my idea is basically like. I'm subbing out some higher level first, have the ability to get to lower level first. I get out of Mitchell. I still have a bunch of young talent on the roster that I can still like feel confident in. Like I have Grimes, I have RJ, I have Deuce, who I think we're all high on. I have Cam, who I feel like if Cam, like, I think the Cam that we saw in the short time he was here, I feel like that's the Cam that you can expect to see where like he's just a really big wing who shoots like around 62 shooting and is like a good shooter, good finisher. Maybe not the best pass in the world, but like he probably gives you what like Atari Eason gives you in theory, right? Um, so yeah, that's kind of been like my idea and my plan, in my head at least. And it sounds like wild, but when people understand that, like, yeah, they have the way that like, they have ways of like getting more capital if they really wanted to. You're not emptying the sink to get it. You're not right? emptying the sink to get out of Mitchell. You still have the means to like get an star if you wanted to. And like if Randall turns out to be an absolute disaster, you can get off of him with like a 2025 pick if you wanted to. If there's an opportunity to get like another star, for example, say, I don't know, pick a star. Say, cat, I mean, maybe. Yeah, cat, whatever. No, say, not cat. <laughs> That's why I said. <laughs> <laughs> you have, but like, yeah, star X is like. Oh, sorry, uh, cat. Yeah, yeah, let's trick the cat. 
No. All right. Yes. <laughs> We're not trading for cat. But I'm saying, like, if Star X is available and you want to, like, send away some even more young talent, if you want to, like, Grimes is part of the deal or something like that. Like, you have the, you have the means to make a trade for Donovan Mitchell. And then you have the means to make a subsequent trade. And you couldn't say that about the mellow trade when it happened, which is why when people compare this to the mellow trade, I'm like, it's not the mellow trade at all because when was the last time the Knicks had, had 10, team, uh, 10 players on the roster, 25 or younger, on like their rookie single contracts? And who are all proven contributors. It's, I mean, I think, I think Deuce is. Most, yeah. Some people are still like, well, he shot 25% from three. I don't have that debate. I think if you can't, I think Deuce can't shoot. Sound? If he gets caught, and you still have, again, you still have like Rose That's how I read their tweets Burks. in my head. You still have Rose and Burks, and you still have a bunch of salary in the roster to like augment the roster. If, if you want to like upgrade the um, margins and the depth of the team, you can. Okay, you're not doing shit with Kemba. You're not doing shit with Noel. You're not doing shit with, um, if you want to trade Burks, you can. You have Taj's expiring salary as well. So like, the way they set up the roster they can make a Donovan trade. They have enough assets to like work around the draft if they really want to, in order to like keep the um, team cheap as much as they can. And then they still have excess salary in order to like get more players who are like who might fit the roster a little better. So I feel like they're in a position where if they trade for Donovan Mitchell, they will be able to like substan- like they'll be able to withstand the hit of draft capital, barely feel it, and still have like ability to like maybe dump Randall if he turns out to be a disaster next year. Or maybe trade for like a second starting pair alongside Donovan Mitchell and RJ Barrett if you wanted to. I just like my issue with this trade is it feels like we're just tossing quickly an Obian as yep, gotta I, do it. I mean, I don't. In. The problem is like I feel like in any deal, and I've talked about this this summer. Quickly is the guy going out. I, I which is like whatever. Like that, I don't. I think, I if think, anything, I feel like maybe I might be tossing Obi into the deal, but I feel like if you're the Jazz... No, no, but, but what I'm saying is, like... Why would the I'm, Jazz prefer quickly to RJ? And, and I, don't just, I don't care about that. Because RJ's, tra- RJ's not getting traded. Like, I think at this point, you kind of want... A, like, I think if you're trading players, you want a year to evaluate them in your context before you have to pay them. But, like, my thing is, if I'm trading quickly and I'm trading Obi in a trade, I'm not giving up for a first in the trade, too. Like, that to me is, like, you're basically trading out, in my opinion, about it, it, seven first-round picks, maybe more, in terms of value. Like, that's just insane. I'm not doing that for Donovan Mitchell. Block, but I get what you're saying. Um, my cut to that would be, I'm giving a little bit of a premium, a slight premium, because I won't pick control sooner. Again, so, like, when I make this trade, it, say it's a draft night trade. So they It get, has to be a draft night and, trade. Yeah, and, 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 right, 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 right. So you get the, you get the rights to the, um, the, 12, the 11 pick in the draft. Barring it moving. If it moves, then this is a different conversation because at that point, I'm giving you four, I'm giving you 23, and then like you're done. Because you have the fourth pick of the draft. Well, well are you doing that trade if the Knicks move into the top four? Still. Uh, I think I would probably try to fight to keep quickly. I'd be You'd like. rather keep quickly than, let's say, Jaden Ivy or whoever we'd pick. I am high as fucking quickly. Okay. But that, that's my point. It's like if. I'm high as fuck on quickly, but at the same time, I also realize that like Donovan Mitchell's like on the cusp of being an All NBA perennial player. No, so. and that's and that's fine. I actually like. I think if you trade, if you are going to trade for Donovan Mitchell, then you probably need to be okay with sending quickly out in that deal. Um, but like, my point is like, to me, like here, here's the, here's a better question: if whoever has the ninth pick in this year's draft calls you up and is like, we'll give you the ninth pick for Emmanuel quickly. 
What's your answer? Stacy? The ninth pick in this draft for Emmanuel quickly. No. Yeah. Would you do okay. it for the fourth pick? I mean, I, I, that's definitely more palatable. I don't know. I don't have a strong I, – I'm as somebody who is openly not particularly well-versed in this draft – um, I mean, as a pure value play, yes. Like if, have, if, as a value play, if it's yes. just if it's just value, then you should probably trade quickly for the fourth pick. But like, if you're talking about the specific players in this year's draft, I don't have a good feel for that. So, but it, that you watch a lot of Ivy, right? I mean, is Ivy someone you think would be worth that? Or I guess even if you don't feel like, I guess you don't feel like you have a good take on Ivy. Then but. I, I don't have. I don't feel like I have a good take on it. Like, I, the, I, as a very on a very surface level, I would say. I think you'd probably do it, but like I also think the fact that he has absolutely no in between game right now is a little bit worrisome. Um, so like that would be a concern I have, but I don't have like if you're just like gun to my head, Jaden Ivy for Emmanuel quickly, I'd probably pull the trigger, but I don't feel great about my read on that. I kind of feel like if you don't pull the trigger on that, um, you kind of feel shit afterward. If he, especially if he like pops the way you think I think he'll pop. Um, but yeah, like, my thing is basically, I think quickly is kind of the headliner of the package. I feel like, but I think, I think the thing is like IQ and like three first is a little, might be a little light for that, but at the same time, I really don't know what to do for the package. I think IQ might be like one of the like, the 10 to 12 best like, like, yeah, I mean, of, like young tradable assets and like, he might be like, yeah, I I mean, the other part of this trade that I don't... Like, the thing is, without knowing where our pick lands, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around it all. But, like, I'll put it this way. If that pick jumped into the top four, I would not... I would offer... This would be my only offer to Utah. I would offer the pick, and I'd offer Randall, and that's it. That would be my offer to them. Because I don't think they're getting a better offer from anybody. No team is putting up a better asset than that in a trade. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, like, I, that's an argument. That is actually an argument to make because I feel like at that point, the fourth pick is worth it because they, they don't have picks. Like, the thing with Utah is, like, they don't have picks and you could argue that, like, Randall making okay money is better than Jonathan making max money and they're, they're doing a lot um, in the tax. And, and I also think that if they're going to do, like, if they're trading Mitchell, they're basically telegraphing they're probably going to trade Gobert and nuke this thing, which I think they'll probably end up doing. Um, I don't. I'm not convinced. I think if they trade Rudy first, I'm not convinced that that means they would trade Mitchell because I do think there's an argument that they, you know, they're like, hey, give us one year. We're going to try and retool this thing around you. Look at what Dallas just did. And then and then they'll fucking like they'll they'll and then and then it's it's next year or something that they trade Mitchell. But my point is is this: if you do if they do trade Mitchell, I think they're blowing it up. They're rebuilding. I think there's an argument that. that Julius is somebody, a rebuilding team that is looking to churn assets is an interesting buy low on because, you know, we saw this with OKC, right? They took on Chris Paul, who was seen as damaged goods at that time. I mean, people were talking about him as like a untradeable contract, right? Which is why they got two first and two pick swaps for him. Um, but like he had a good year and then they flipped it, right? Like I think Julius for a rebuilding team, there's value in, okay, this guy sucked ass last year. His contract has four years left on it. Let's see what we can do with him for a year. Let him get his numbers up. Let him kind of get his confidence back and all this kind of shit. 
And maybe in a year's time, we can flip him to another team now and get assets on that end too. Um, but like the, the main thing here is if you're looking at a Donovan Mitchell trade, who else, who else in this league is going to be aggressively pursuing Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, I think you could say Miami would be in the mix. Uh, there is a team that has a pretty intriguing young player that I saw trade mentioned. That's Cleveland, because uh, they probably move Sexton. Um, and but they don't. Sexton, they don't fix. They trade. Sorry, they trade their pick to Indiana, and, like, and and the fourth and the fourth pick is always gonna, that's better than Sexton. Like it's just a better asset because you have to pay. Sexton. No, if we get the fourth pick, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying that quickly as the centerpiece, there are teams that can beat that. Ah, uh, like, like the centerpiece makes me you begging Colin Sexton. Like, you'd have to beg on Colin Sexton when you pay him after him coming up from Mystic's injury, or you have to beg on like Tyler Hero getting a max because Tyler Hero would be getting a max at that point. And it feels like, why would you just trade Donovan Mitchell for Tyler Hero and a max contract? It just kind of feels short. It kind of feels like you're going back asswards. You're trading Donovan Mitchell for a worse player, not much of a pick return, and you're still going to watch your text. Okay, what about Golden State, or does the same thing apply with Pool? They That's, they wouldn't trade. They they're, wouldn't not trade. Pool. they're not trading Pool. They're not trading. They're not trading Pool for Donovan Mitchell. They would trade Wiggins. They're they're, literally, they're probably going to move on Wiggins this offseason just to, like pay Pool. So, but like even like they're not. But you you don't think they would trade Pool to pair Donovan Mitchell with Curry and no. or because of the age no. you think? No, I just think that they love Jordan Pool and they probably think the difference between Pool and Donovan Mitchell, especially considering the fact that Pool already is like plays exactly how they like to play. He's well-versed in all the Golden State shit they do. But yeah, they, they spent a year trying to get him to play like Steph Curry, and now it's paying off, and like they're yeah. not moving off that. Especially, yeah, if they I gonna, especially since I think they're probably going to win the championship. They, they're not doing that. Yeah, oh, bold yeah. prediction there. Yeah, I, I don't think they, they're going to do that. Um, they do have the one guy, especially the way he's played against Jokic, who if they did meet Milwaukee, I think that's the only team that has... Looney? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> no, like, but like, I want to go back to the Miami thing because you say Miami is nothing, and I disagree with that because whatever you think about Tyler Hero and Tyrese, I know he's your favorite player of all time, um, but like, okay, let's just be let's just be fucking honest here. Utah would definitely have some interest in somebody like Tyler Hero. Is that I think they'd have interest in Tyler Hero, but the idea is like Tyler Hero is going to get a max, like. The big thing is, like, do you want Tyler Hero on a max contract? That is the big determinant. That's but they, the big they determinant might. Though. My, my thing is, like, I think there are teams that, that will want They might. Sorry, might. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, I think there are teams that will definitely feel very comfortable with, like, hey, look, this guy put up, what what is he, what is he averaging this year? Like, 25 and 3 off the bench or something? He's playing, like, 30-plus minutes a night. So he's, he's still playing, like, starters minutes. But, like, there are teams that are going to look at that and be, like, third-year player. I think he's, what, 21 years old. They're going to look at that and they'll be like, you know what? Yeah, like, they're going to look at that and be like, yeah, you know what? Like, this is a great like, – wow, this is, like, amazing that we can get this. If we can get this guy for Donovan Mitchell, that's totally worth it. Um, personally, me, like, if it was me, I would – and I'm kickstarting a rebuild. I would much rather have the fourth pick. Um and whatever the Knicks gave me to just make salaries match than than Hero because of what you just said that you're gonna have to pay him and it's likely gonna be a max contract. Um, but like, I I don't know if that's true. So like I I, I only push back on that because I do think that like Miami, despite their weird pick situation and stuff like that, like they do have that that young player that often is like 
the centerpiece to a deal like this. Now, that's not always the case. I mean, if you go back years now, but if you go back, like Ray Allen was traded straight up for what the whatever the Jeff Green pick was. Was that the fifth pick of that draft? Um, like that. That's a trade that happened, right? Like, like a top five pick carries a lot of value, um, and I do think like and here the thing for the Knicks too is like if you can make that deal and maybe maybe you have to toss in like the the Dallas twenty three pick too or something right but like if you can make that deal and keep your young talent that's like probably the biggest home run ever and I'll also say this to go back to the initial deal that you offered I would almost rather offer more first than give up like like if I could give up more first to keep quickly or Obi in the trade, I would do that. Because then I, you're talking about like 2028, 20, Yeah, I don't want to do that. My point is like, basically, I feel like you want the ability to like retool the roster as soon as possible, as soon as you get Donovan Mitchell. I just don't think you even need to, though. That's my point. Is like, I think these young guys around Donovan Mitchell, like, he is... You would keep Mitch at that point, by the way. Yeah, right? I, would, I would. I think they should keep Mitch anyway, even though like I have major reservations about him. It just doesn't make any sense to not keep him, in my opinion. Um, but like, unless you know, for some reason, Phoenix is like, you know, what? we don't like DeAndre and actually, so you can have him. Like, sure, in that case, don't bring back Mitch. But in every other scenario, bring back Mitch. Um, but like, I just think you look at our group of young talent. Right, so this, let's say the guys that have established themselves already are RJ quickly, Obi. Uh, if you want to include Mitch in that group, fine, go with go with Mitch. Um, I think Grimes is bordering on establishing himself, but I'm I would pretty, say he did. Grimes, yeah, Grimes more, up, and Greg is more minutes than himself. He's yeah, yeah he, he has the second highest three point rate per hundred on the team, and he's hitting those at thirty eight percent. He's right. established himself. And right. he hit, okay. he was hitting them at forty percent before he got injured. Right. So my, my point though is like. I already feel like if we just dumped Randall for effectively nothing and ran back most of this team and just played the young guys way more and let them do more shit, I think this team would be pretty firmly um, – I think they'd be around 500. They'd be in a playing spot. Like I think it's a really underrated group of young talent that we have. And so my point is like if I was less confident about our young guys, then I would agree with you. Like the idea that keep the picks because – Whatever. Like, I, I understand what you're saying, right? But because I believe in them, to me, I'm way more willing to give up more future draft capital to to keep that that group of young talent to get a player like Donovan Mitchell. Because I think if you add Donovan Mitchell to that group, like, I really think that team could be a lot better than people think. And I think it's a They'd be better, fun, for sure. Yeah, they'd be really fun. And I think they would be the guys we have whatever you think about, like, I, I don't, I think the entire Ruby Gobert discourse is pretty stupid. Like he's a really, really fucking awesome regular season player. I think in most playoff matchups, he's also fine. And I don't think the reason their defense sucks ass is particularly like critical. Like, I, I don't think it has to do much with, with Rudy Gobert being exposed in the playoffs. I think it's because they literally don't have any good perimeter defenders. Um, That's I, another, another thing that bothers me about pairing Donovan and, Randall is now you have two players yes, with exactly. very sporadic to put a kindly effort on defense. Uh, I'm not sold on RJ's defense long term. Uh, I think he's he's fine right now. Um, adding value from that position, I'm not convinced that that's something we've seen consistently from yeah, him. I think it'd probably be like Grimes doing like the Spider-Man two holding the train scene. But like, and then you have Mitch, so you'd have Mitch, so that would help. But um, I don't think that's a good defensive team. Yeah, and I, I think they'll be. That... I think they could get to like average. 
but like that's good. that's to me is like if you can keep your young guys and add Mitchell, like that's another reason why I think we are really well suited to a player like him because guys like Quickly and Grimes and Obi and like just the fact that they're willing to make those extra rotations and and run around and tag you know the roll man and recover out to their shooter and then like all that kind of boring stuff that requires a lot of you know a lot of effort boring effort right um like they're good at that and so we would be in a position where like even if donovan mitchell doesn't exactly you know take take defense seriously after a trade uh i think i still think we can cover for him and he's good enough offensively where like I don't think he's good enough to be a number one on a title team, but I do think that like he can be an awesome number two. And he's as close to the number one you can get, though, especially like with his offensive output. But like I get what you're saying. Yeah, okay, and I just and I just think like at some point, if you're the Knicks, like and not just the Knicks, if you're any team, what you really got to ask yourself is like, okay, who are the number one? Like who are the guys in this league right now? Not and forget the older generation who is getting you know. They're all getting sent to the fucking farm right now. Like all these guys are getting shown that it's not their league anymore, except for Steph, baby. Yeah, except for Steph. Um, but like, like if we're talking down the line, who are the guys that you're like Tatum. that you view as championship number ones? Right? To me, it's like Giannis, Tatum, Luka, Luka. Uh, Jokic. Yeah, Jokic, and even he's like very weird, right? Because of the defense and all that kind of stuff. Like it's mm, not. I, I, yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's exactly. I don't think. I think he's a. He's definitely a one because of how absurd his offensive skills are. But I think he's a little bit tricky, as I'm yeah. saying. And I would say like um, Donovan Mitchell's like. I wouldn't. I don't know if he's like in that chair, but I feel like he's right on the cusp. I mean, there's like a Donovan one Mitchell pretty similar to like Kyrie, like not, a really nah. awesome offensive player that you're not quite like. He's not really a point guard though. You know what I mean? Like Mitchell play makes and he does it pretty well, but he's not a point guard. He's not like somebody that you're like has command of. You know, like let him be a really good fourth guard off the bench. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you don't want you don't the, you the don't want him in Mitchell is, Yeah, you're gonna get he's gonna get exposed. I mean, I would I would push back on him the Kyrie comp because since Kyrie's been 24, he has not put up a season of less than 58 troop shooting. We know obviously the difficulty is absurd. Donovan Mitchell is, like, really high usage and, like, decent efficiency on, like, obviously a pretty absurd shot diet in itself. But, like, Donovan Mitchell is at 57 right now. He, so he's never even put over 58. This is a career high this year in terms of true shooting. He's 25. So I think Kyrie, for his game, is absurdly efficient. And Mitchell is a notch below that. I think that Kyrie has also played with LeBron James. Like, he's just played on stacked teams. Like he's, yeah, he played with LeBron James, teams. and then he played with, like, the baby Celtics, and he was still good then, and then he played with Kevin Durant. So sure, like, but I think that his, I mean, his... And, 11, and 11 games with James Harden. Let's not yeah, forget that. Right. A legendary right. 11 games. And But, and the shot creation ability. Like, Mitchell, like, has all three levels. He's more athletic than Kyrie, but Kyrie's, like, finishing package... His shooting ability, I think it's like uh, his one dribble pull up, his two dribble like... pull up, who he is at the elbow. Oh, um, <laughs> but I, I will say, I, I think that I, I'm not sure I'm ready to say Donovan Mitchell is quite Kyrie level on offense. I'm, I think Kyrie's I'm, passing is underrated too. By the way. I, I, I was mostly talking about like a stylistic comp. I do think Kyrie's a good passer. I don't think he's an intuitive passer, and I think he's a terrible point guard and he's a fucking loser um, who gets outshot apparently by Bruce fucking Brown in critical um, must win games. Um, it's never a must-win game in Brooklyn. Nobody gets it. That's true. Um, but like, I I just think if you, like Mitchell, I mean, if you just look at his numbers, and Prez has talked about this a bunch, 
And, but like, he's like an awesome spot up guy, but he never gets to take spot up shots because he effectively has to create almost everything for them in the half court. And that was supposed to be a thing that getting Mike Conley um, helped with, but like Conley is just, just doesn't have that burst anymore. Like he's, he's not that level of creator anymore. I, he's not, at least not the level of creator at this point that they thought they were acquiring. Um, Bogdanovich is a good, like he's a good scorer, but he's not, you know what I mean? Like he's not bending defenses and creating a bunch of quality looks for Mitchell. Mitchell has to create most of his own offense. Um, he takes a shit ton of pull up threes. And I just think that like, if you, I, I really feel like this group of young guys we have, um, they don't have that top end scoring option. Maybe RJ develops into that guy or quickly or OB or whatever, but like they don't have that currently, no matter what we think about them. And if you, but they do like share the ball well, right? Like they do create offense for each other pretty fucking well, I think. Um, now, if you. They're play, good at creating micro advantages and then yeah. compounding and, and, those. They're not yeah. good at creating like massive advantages. Right. But I do think like now, if you add Mitchell into this group, like it benefits him and it benefits them. I just, I really think like if there's a way to just throw a bunch of picks into this deal and get it done. I would be okay with that, I think. Like, even if it made me queasy for the reasons that Tyrese doesn't want to do that, because it's like you're effectively betting huge that, like, this group um, is going to be so good. And also that you can make moves with your players as the centerpieces down the line. And because the, um, the other drawback of that is they're going to, like, quickly and OB after next year are eligible for extensions. RJ is going to get paid after next year. Cam would have to get paid after next year. Um, Grimes and Deuce are less proven, but they, they, so you have more leeway with them. Mitch is going to get paid, but I think they'll have him in a decent deal. So to Tyrese's point, like the value of these players is going to diminish unless they make huge star leaps, which, um, you know, it'll you know, be hard to do when better. you have like three guys eating usage, like RJ, Mitch, and, um, Randall. So like, my point is effectively this, it's like Mitch? Donovan Mitchell. Oh, I was like, was like. Sorry, I, just, I forgot. Like the two Mitches, I have to like get used to that. Wait, in, in your trade, in your trade with the extra picks, you would still be keeping Randall, sure. Yeah. No, I would. I, Randall was gone in the trade. He, for he for him, for for Sherwin, Randall was gone. For me, Randall would stay. Um, Randall's very close to Tyrese's heart. Yeah, so weird, I, like I, last year, I was like, I was like pushing the fucking bandwagon. Now I'm like, ah. So then it is a little bit easier to bet on a star turn from either RJ or I think RJ and quickly would be the most likely candidates. Obi would probably his I think he would be terrific with Donovan Mitchell. He'd I really think, thrive. Like, Obi would be really good with Donovan Mitchell with the problem. Like I think but it wouldn't the people wouldn't him. view him as like a number one star. So the problem is if no one takes that leap, and I'd also argue that quickly, I'd wonder if Tibbs would play them together. I also wonder how much of there is an overlap if quickly's best skill is pull up shooting, and that's obviously something Donovan Mitchell's elite at. Uh, they're not similar players, but they are similar things that they do well. And Donovan Mitchell gives you the... That would be like why I would see it a little bit more Tyrese's way, because I do wonder if Quickly even has the room to take a star turn. And then if you have to pay him, you know, how much does his value diminish? But sorry, go ahead, Tyrese. Yeah, my point is basically like, you also have to consider that, yeah, like guys are getting paid soon, so you kind of want to keep the team cheap. Um, like I don't want to be freely paying luxury tax on this team for like a few years, which is kind of where I'm at. Um, so ultimately it comes down to, I want to be able to like balance the contract out a little bit. I want to be able to still have like young players on the roster and I want my picks. I want the picks especially because I feel like 
when you're getting into star trades, I think you need picks. And picks, picks are like the currency that makes the, um, makes the engine run. So I feel like when you have less picks, it's harder to trade for a star. They're like NFTs. Right. It, it's fucking... <laughs> it's, it's Dinwiddie coin, right? Um, so yeah, I feel like you want younger players on the roster. You want picks especially. Also, like, it's good. Like, if you don't trade... If you trade a bunch of your picks out, like... You still want the ability to, like, you want safety nets of first-round picks. That just feels like that's kind of how you want to deal. I feel like when you don't have first-round picks, it makes it harder to, like, update the roster. Or, like, upgrade the roster, rather. Like, like the Clippers are doing it because Steve Ballmer has more money than God, right? But in most cases, you usually don't have the ability to, like, do that. So I just kind of feel like... It just feels like the the ability to be like, okay... We miss out on one 2023 draft, which we really probably won't miss out on because we still have like the Pistons second, we still have the Jazz second, we still have like um a bunch of these seconds that we can like cobble together and like really make an offer with, like get back to the first we really wanted to. The fact that they have the opportunity to do that just makes it feel like okay, I'm willing to trade the 2023 picks and then be able to like 2024. I have a clean slate of picks and I can do, I can like do whatever I want to do with the roster. So. That's kind of where I'm at, especially like before Donovan Mitchell's contract is like near expert um expiring. So yeah, I like, I I absolutely get the idea of just like trying to keep all the young players together, but you also have to consider the fact that like money is a factor. So yeah, I mean, I think where I agree with Schwinn is that I would much rather send out Rand, even if we had to bring a third team in. I, if we get Donovan Mitchell, I would love to see what Obi Toppin can do next to him. Yeah, and I also would love to not have Randall on the team and like watch him and Don. Like, can you imagine how miserable? There is a really team? bad outcome for that. Yeah, yeah. RJ. There's Rob- a good outcome where Randall does turn into New Orleans or Randall again and plays off of Mitchell well. Um, but like Shun said, that's a bet. So, and also like the like you mentioned this, the defense would suck. Um, uh, so like. You know, like, I don't know. It just, that would make me very, very uncomfortable. Um, I would, I, I would not, I, I think I would be totally out on that. I think if you get Mitchell, not I think, I know, this is how I feel. If you get Mitchell, I think Randall has to be, like, it's like a non-negotiable. He has to be gone. It doesn't need to be in that trade, but he has to be gone. He cannot be here. We cannot deal with that. Because I promise you what's going to happen is, you're gonna do. It's gonna be another season where the for the first thirty games, RJ's hanging out in the corner, and like that's what we're doing with him. You know, like I, it's a waste of time. Which I don't even care about that if the offense is playing with pace and moving well. Like again, if they if they are willing to, if Randall is utilized that way, I still think it's fine if if RJ is more tertiary. That's not um, as long as the team if the team is also playing worse and it's worse on both ends. The one thing I'll say is that I mean I am. Quickly, one of Quickly's biggest fans on here. I do think if we get Mitchell, it makes him a little bit more expendable. So, like, that's why I wouldn't. If that's the guy we're getting, I'm a little more okay trading quickly. Uh, and to that end, I am higher. On, I am pretty high on our on Deuce and Rokas Yokubaitis as at least backups potentially. Um, if we get Mitchell, so <laughs> um, and Deuce. I mean, I'm much higher on Deuce. If you look at EPM, like his shooting percentage is projected three-point shooting percentage is still really high because of the the level of difficulty the volume of shots he takes and like watch him shoot like if you're really worried about this dude shooting 
I, I don't trust your eye test at all. So um, that includes catch and shoot and pull up. So if we're trading for Mitchell, I think like quickly is the like, I would Obi's the guy I'd really want to keep, and I'd I'd be more okay with quickly or, or maybe even RJ. Yeah, I I, I, I RJ is just not going to get traded. So he's not going to get not traded. Even, yeah, uh, it's like it literally doesn't even matter what we think. It like it's not going to happen, and they don't have the leverage. To, they don't have the leverage to pull that. So yeah, they they're just there's no way that's happening. Um, I agree with that though. That like yes, I would rather. I, not that I would rather, but if you're going to make a trade for Donovan Mitchell quickly, not not being, you. Would, you would rather trade. It's okay, you can admit it. No, I would rather trade Obi than than quickly for sure. Um, but like that's not. I would rather not trade either. Um, but like, yeah, I. The thing with quickly is like I seriously, it's so annoying. Tibbs didn't start him this year because I really feel like, you know, yes, his shot creation. Still needs work. I mean, like you watch the playoffs and stuff, and you see, um, you know, he has to work on like getting his shot off in tight coverages, tight spaces, all that kind of stuff. That that's definitely part of like where he needs to grow as a player. But the stuff that he's already improved at is very significant. Like the playmaking stuff, and really, man, when you watch these games, if you go watch him from the start of the year and then you watch him at the end of the year, like that leap in his playmaking is massive. Like, it's not... Like, we, you know, we joked about this last year about Trey. Like, he's not a true point guard. He's not a true point guard. Like, by the end of the year, if you were still saying he's not a true point guard, you're, like, you just have an agenda or something. Because the shit he was doing at the end of the year was, like, high-level point guard reading he was defenses, understanding coverage. Manipulating, right? He was yeah. not just reading them. He was, he was like, he manipulated the shit out of Miami's defense, right? Yeah. That's right. Not a, it was basically I mean, look him, at, like, carving the defense. Like, look at some of the baskets he, he got Obi. I mean, he did, he started doing this thing the last few games of the season where when Obi was in the corner, what he would do is he would tell Sims. He would tell Sims to come up and set the screen and that would and him and Obi had this they knew as soon as Sims came up, Obi would cut to the rim, right? And he'd throw a lob, right? It's just like stuff like that. And it and it, the thing is it wasn't like a set play. Like you can literally see quickly like telling Obi to chill for a second, calling Sims up. Like that's him knowing what the defense is going to do, how they're gonna cover something, and understanding, okay, this is how we can we can benefit from it. And he did it in a way because one of the issues with him, right, is like quickly and he still is like at heart but like he's kind of a chuck and so his way of attacking defenses previously was all centered around his scoring right like how he could draw defenders with what he did and like a play like that shows me him understanding how to create for guys without even having to like put the ball on the deck really you know like I, i just think it's those type of plays from him and then you like you know Tyrese mentioned this but you know I've clipped a bunch of plays like the one hand cross court live dribble skip passes and stuff like that like that's a major leap and I I really think there's a world where he's a star like I, I truly believe that he has a star outcome I think you can argue that his upside in that sense um is maybe the highest on the team like, I just think the pull-up shooting, like, and I know the percentages weren't there this year, but so much of that, like, I don't, I would have to look it up, but I would imagine that Darius Garland's shooting percentages before the season weren't exactly 
the greatest thing ever. But like so much of that, like just be like is is about getting comfortable just yeah, and, and also just getting comfortable like taking those shots and living and not being scared off of like and this this also falls on tips by the way, but like not being scared off of like, well I missed a couple, like I shouldn't shoot this one. You know, it's like nah, fuck it, shoot the ball. Like if you have that shot, that should always be a shot for you, Emmanuel, quickly, right? And I think Garland, even Garland now, like you saw this in the play in games, he struggles with that balance a little bit, right? Like there are times where if he doesn't shoot he's not shooting well he's kind of hesitant to keep shooting. And that's part of it. Like, that's just part of your growth as a player. Um, but, like, that's why the shooting percentage stuff to me doesn't matter because the fact of the matter is he shot, what, 39 and a half and 34 from three. He was a league average true shooting. Um, like, what we're talking for about guards, here, For guards, yeah, for guards. Yeah, for a point guard specifically, uh, even though he's totally not a point guard, unlike natural point guard Alec Burks. Um, but, like... What we're talking about then is if he if he maintains the improvements he made as a two point scorer, he went from forty uh, about forty point four, I think, uh, his rookie season as a two from two point. Uh, he went from 40, 40, yeah, he went from forty percent to forty five percent. Yeah, and he also like jump. he took massive leads with like the mid range as well. Like the, it won't show up in the numbers, but like his floater got better, his mid range got better, and I think he took fluor floaters too. So it was also few, people, he got because better. he got to the like he his rim he only took. He took six percent of shots from uh, within three feet of the rim last year. This year went up to nine, but it, it's not about that improvement as much as the floaters he did take are much better, right? And also, like that nine percent is like heavily increased for like the back half of the season. I think Paul's also he was like at twenty four percent. Wow, it was something like it was something ridiculous. Like he was getting there like at least twenty percent of the time, and it's like if he's getting there twenty percent of the time and finishing at like fifty nine percent, you'll gladly take that. Yeah, and and because and, and his like, floater is going to be much better. And so once, and once I think he, he left out, he left off on the, um, on the court as well. Like he could definitely yeah. get to like 62, 63. And if he can get to 62, 63, making like 20% of his attempts there with an elite pull up shooting game. That, that's effectively what Garland did this year. Yeah. That's like literally what Garland did this year. I, so, think, I think at minimum he could be a Van Vliet, if not Garland. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think, I think like this, and this is where I've like been really annoyed with the conversations about him is like, like I, I was watching, I don't know if you guys were watching the Raptors game yesterday. But they mentioned, like, after All-Star break, Fred Van Vliet, guess what he shot from three? It was, like, 28% from three after All-Star break. And and it's just so funny to me because if you if you ask Knicks fans, or not all Knicks fans, but if you ask a lot of Knicks fans, and not just Knicks fans, a lot of just, you know, oh, oh quickly shot like shit, quickly shot like shit, quickly shot like shit for so long. It's, like, the nature of that type of player is they're going to have stretches of shooting like crap from three, right? Steph Curry is an anomaly. Like, that, that, like, and even he has had some bad stretches. Yeah. And, every, and every season he has like one four for 24 stretch. And they're like, I don't know, is Steph washed now? And then it's like, surprise, no, he isn't. Yeah, Dane has had bad stretch. Dane was terrible to start this season. You remember? Like, he was terrible. Um, like, all these guys that that's game is predicated on pull-up three-point shooting and a high volume of it are going to have rough stretches. It's part of the gig. But to me, if you think like – if you even think that quickly on that diet of threes – eventually gets to like 37 38%. I mean, with the playmaking leaps And he made, was at 39% last year. He was at 39% year, so yeah. last year. Yeah. So like 37 let's just say he gets to 37% on the same type of difficult volume of threes with maintaining the two point gains he's made and the playmaking he's made. Like that is that's a star. That's a star. Like that is literally a star. Like I minimum and, that's like a Mike Conley-esque kind of player. Yeah. And and then the other part is this is like 
he literally can't do anything driving left yet. Like, let him work on that this year. Like, let him – let's see what he does in the offseason and comes back. Like, this is why, like, for me, trading – like, I don't mind trading quickly, right? Like, in a in a – for a legit star. And I've been very critical of Donovan Mitchell. I've definitely criticized him. But, like, he is a legitimate star player in the NBA, right? Like, he's a top 20-ish player. That's a star. I say, like, top uh, six – like, top what? Six. Did he just get cut off? Did he just 16, 16, 16, 16. I was gonna say tops. No, no. I think he's six like is, he's he's on the cusp of all NBA. Which one? Six is also funny because it would have been like that's like such an oddly specific number. Um, yeah, wait, man. Like, I'm not putting top five, bro. He's still not better <laughs> than LeBron. Yet. No, he's still, he's like right on the cusp of all NBA. Okay, I, I'm a little bit lower on him probably than that, but like I like either way, he's a star. And so I'm okay with like dealing quickly for a player of that level. But for me, the the issue is, and this is why Tibbs not playing him more is super annoying. I definitely value quickly more so than Other NBA teams. teams. Yeah, and, and I bet NBA teams, if you just gave them truth serum and asked them off the record, I'm sure a bunch of them would be like, no, we love quickly. Like, would be super high on him, but they're never going to approach him. Like I think, that, I think no, like Z- right? no, they did because like Zach Lowe was like basically this off spike um for the trade deadline. Yeah. Like the phones basically like ringing off the hook for quickly. And that was at the nadir of his slump, the down. Yeah, yeah that was like, and they were basically like still, they were trying to poach him. They were absolutely trying to poach him and Obi. Yeah. yeah, like teams know that these guys are good, right? Like they and they that's the reality is like, but but because Tibbs hasn't played them enough until the end of the year, really that value as like because so much of this shit is also optics right like if you're trading Donovan Mitchell you can't go like you have to have some kind of package that you can sell to your fans and more importantly to your ownership right like quickly just hasn't played enough where you can be like who cares about the picks like we're getting a manual quickly right like it's it's just not there yet um it's it's just I don't know it's really tough for me like I I would deal quickly, but I also think that the pick package just needs to be greatly reduced in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, so here's where I think that Van Fleet or Conley, like in terms of impact, I could see him getting there. Another name I'll throw out is Lowry. Uh, They have very different games, but Lowry is a player who probably most people would have said at his peak was top 25, top 30. Is that fair to say to you guys? Yeah, like he was a player. But if you look at like, you know, RAPM and those kind of stats, he was consistently top 10. Like, he was essentially the Draymond of guards. There's all the little things he does, right? Yeah, he flops. But, um, you know, the charges, right? The kind of help, like, it's those weird skills. Like, I think he was also, like, quickly a very good rim protector. That's something we didn't even talk about, but quickly is very, is pretty effective at contesting shots at the rims because he's sneakily pretty strong. Um, he has long arms and he has a good understanding of verticality. Um, I see him being that player, but I think to be like, I, I guess we might defer like how much of a star that is. But like, if you're talking about like an all NBA type or like a, a superstar, I think like since he's sub six, five, that threshold is really high. I think you either have to be an elite pull up. Sh- well, it's not, this is, I was talking with chucking darts, shout out to chucking darts about this, but if you're under six, five, you either have to be an elite pull up shooter an elite passer um or an elite rim guy which i don't like he, the thing with quickly is he's very good at a lot of things 
But I like. Do I see him being an elite pull up shooter on a Dame level? I think that's tough because his release is a little bit, little bit low, right? And I, I think when I, you talk about getting his shot off in tight spaces, that's what concerns me a little bit. An elite passer, we'll see. But and the, the threshold there is really high. I don't. I don't even know if I'd call Garland an elite passer at this point, right? Uh, I, I and he and he's and quickly would have to make some more strides to get to that level. Um, and then the rim pressure stuff, like he, he showed like, I mean, he missed a few of these, but he had some crazy finishes that we just didn't see when he was a rookie. But do I think like he could get to like, like he would need to follow the Tony Parker, Steve Nash route as like a, um, as like just the under the rim guy who has all of these crazy moves and like can utilize his length. Yeah. And like the floater would have to get even better. I'm like, I think I see him eventually like his ceiling is a sub elite player. Um, so like top 25, top 30 in the league, definitely a guy you're comfortable, but like, like Lowry, someone you probably want like an elite wing next to him. Um, and, um, you know, to, to win a title. Um, so post all-star quickly was basically what 16, five and five, uh, in 27 and a half minutes. So, so per thirty six, that's about what twenty one seven and seven. Like, yeah, yeah twenty one seven and seven. Garland like sixty. Yeah. It was like sixty something. Yeah. Garland. Yeah, and, and Garland just for the season, uh, he was twenty one point seven points, eight point six assists, three point three rebounds in thirty five point seven minutes. So, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. Like that's not quickly played. He gave you basically what? That's about a third of the season, a quarter of the season. Um, of something right. approaching Darius Garland. Yeah, and so I don't know, man. Like I just. But is Darius Garland ceiling like an All NBA player? I don't. I think so. Yeah, I mean, his ceiling. Yeah, I think if, if the team won more, more, if they like, if the Cavs didn't like just fall apart due to injury, he probably would like float an All NBA team this year. So do you think quickly ceiling is ultimately like we mentioned Conley Van Fleet? I, yes. I threw in Lowry. Do you think I, his I ceiling think, is something like Dame or something like that? I think his ceiling is Dame. I, yeah. I think it's like I know I I thought about the uh, Dallas sort of, I think his scene was probably like a a weird mix of like Trey and Drew. He, he he's like I, he's like at Fred Van Vliet but with better finishing because Van Vliet's like just been an awful finisher his entire career. Um, despite this year, that, he was much improved. Yeah, I mean, and and Fred Van Fleet became a mid range god this year. I think that's you have to kind of mention. Yeah, that. so I, I think Van Vliet is probably like the level I would think is a a ceiling. Which, like, I know that to a lot of people that would be like, so t- and that's the guy you don't want to trade for, like Donovan Mitchell. But like, I'm probably higher on Van Vliet than most people. I think. Um, yeah, top 25, 30 players. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I will say he's like, an all-star this year, right? So um, quickly does have the length, but he's he's deceptively strong. That's what how I'd categorize him right now, because he's like got that wiry strength. But um, you know, he has this. It's not the size that separates the guys like Conley, Lowry, or, or Van Fleet on defense from him. It's the girth, right? Um, yes, I want to use the phrase girth, but I, I mean, like, yeah, like everyone talks about those guys. Like everyone talks about Lowry's ass, right? Um, like quickly, I think he has great core strength. He's kind of like in that Steph Curry mold where, yeah, deceptively strong. Um, but I think like to, I wonder how much more strength he needs to make to be, to hold up on defense the way that guys like Van Vliet, Lowry, and Conley did in the playoffs. Particularly man to man, right? That's fair. But like, again, I, 
Quickly just feels like, like I can't say he's Fred. Sorry. 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 Hello. <laughs> yeah. The did you hear that? that rabbit fans. Yeah, I did. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I th- the thing with um Van Vliet was like Van Vliet made the All Star game because he had like insane, insane like high level shooting. Like he was shooting like sixty something percent from like. 16 to 3 points made at one point. And he was taking like damn 20% of his shots at that point. Like his shooting to get to the All-Star game was like like think what Julius did last February. Well like, he's basically he sliced like 50, 40, 80 for a season. Take that and like double it. Because that's what Van Vliet was doing to get to the All-Star game. So he's 180. You know what I mean. <laughs> like, yeah, like legitimately like the shooting that Van Vliet had to do in order to like make the All-Star team, and he was a fringe at best, was like insanity. Yeah, the thing is, guys like Van Vliet... I don't I think, think this... Quickly needs to be that level of shot maker. Like, I think he needs to be a good shot maker, but I feel like Quickly could just get easier points because he can, A, get to the rim a ton. I think he might be a more intuitive playmaker than, than Van Vliet is. Yeah, Van Vliet kind of feels a little rough, but my thing is, like, Quickly can get to the rim, can Quickly can get to the line, which is really big for him. Like, Quickly can easily be, like, a 35% free throw rate guy. And it doesn't feel foreign. Easily is pushing it. I see him being like Luca's at thirty-one for his career. Like okay, RJ's okay. about that. Right, so right, right. like okay, can quickly thirty percent. I think is something he's at right now, and I think yeah, I would was, be comfortable with him maintaining that. He was at thirty percent his first year, twenty-eight percent last year, and that spiked. So like he was around like I think twenty-four, twenty-three. Yeah, he was like around like 40 percent. Like I think post All Star break, he was around like forty percent. It was high. Like, he was getting to the rim, like, he would basically have games where, like, he would take more free throws than shots, and it would be, like, insanely efficient, but, again, like, I think the, that's the thing quickly, like, because how many times do you see somebody, like, his size get to the rim and get to the line that much while also being, like, an elite free throw shooter? Not a lot. Um, yeah, the thing with, like, really so much of this hinges on what you think of Quickly's playmaking. Because to and me... And I'm super high on it. Yeah, like, I, I just think his passing has grown so much from what I even thought it could get to. Like, it was it far exceeded what I expected this year uh, from him. Like, the second half of the year, I really can't say it enough. I, I think his playmaking was spectacular. Uh, and that's, like, again, like, he's still not very good at all going to his left. And I'm not just talking about, like, finishing going to his left. I'm talking about, like, just ball handling with his left hand. Um, he looks noticeably slower going left. That's when you see him get walled off more often. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I think, to me, so much of the bet just ultimately comes down to that specific element of his game. If his left-hand dribble is even, like, 85 90% of what he can do with his right, I mean, that opens up so much for him, and it really changes his trajectory, I think. Um so I, I don't know. I just it's tough for me. Like I, I, you, I think you have to be okay with dealing him for a player of like Donovan Mitchell's caliber or SGA or somebody like that. Those guys that are not Cat. clear. Yeah, no, not Cat. Uh, <laughs> not like guys that are clear cut number one best player on a contending level teams. But guys that are, yeah, no, that's <laughs> um, but like like those guys that. You know, it's just like at some point, if you're not going to be willing to trade for those guys and, and risk something for them, then you're just saying that we have to wait for that number one caliber, like Luca Tatum, whatever guy. And 
And guess what? Those guys don't ever get traded. Like, they just don't. They, they get traded generally. If they get traded, it's at the end of their second contract, which is like, what, seven, eight, nine years into their careers? Yeah. Um, like, it's just, they don't get traded. Like, 25-year-olds like, don't get traded. And, like, even then, I mean, we saw this with Durant, right? Where it's like, if you're OKC and you have this guy, even if you think he's going to leave, are you really going to trade him? Because you're going to be, like, because the entire point is to get a guy like that. And when you're a market like that, especially, you don't want to trade that guy ever because you're the odds are you're just never going to get a caliber of player like that again, right? Same thing happened with LeBron, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you just have to risk it. And so I just, I think that if that's what you think, like, if that's fundamentally how you feel about it, that's fine. But then, but then you have to understand what you're saying. Like, because I've seen people that are like, we can't trade for Mitchell at all. And I don't agree with that. Like, I think there, it just needs to be the, a price that still leaves you with flexibility to do other things or leaves you with talent to put around him. Like, he's not an empty the cupboard dude, right? That's not the type of talent he is. But he is really, really good. And I'm okay with trading with, for a guy like him. And basically, the bet is if we get him, we can assemble a team that's good and competitive in the meantime before one of those top level guys looks at the situation as like, you know what, I want to get there. Or if RJ has some crazy outlier development or something like there's always other paths. But like the realistic one is a guy like a Giannis or Tatum or Luca. Somebody down the line is like, you know what? That shit looks fun. I'm gonna go there. That's that's the entire draw, I think. Um so I'm okay with that. I just think that if you're fundamentally against trading for Donovan Mitchell or players of that caliber because they are not perfect um then you need to i mean then you should probably want us to do what okc is doing right and just like tank until you get one of those guys in the draft because that's really the only way you're gonna it's gonna happen what would you say to people who are like follow quote unquote the memphis route right or develop the young talent or the toronto route even right um you know, do you think that's just not that viable? It's not viable because how many times do you get, like, a bunch of young players on the team playing that way with, like, a bunch of the contract structures that they have on that team? Like, it doesn't happen often. Like, the Toronto route especially does not happen because if you look at that Toronto roster, everybody in that rotation got paid. And, yeah, I'm specifically talking about the roster that won the championship, not what Toronto like, is right now. Like, you think about it, like, their bench was Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell – and like Siak, like Siak was a starter, but like Fred Lee, Norm Powell, fucking like their bench was loaded. Ibaka. Ibaka, right? Like their bench was loaded. Gasol too, right? Gasol, Gasol came, started. Gasol started, but like that bench was loaded. OG and I think OG was coming off the bench. Like, well, OG sucks. So that is shut that. the fuck up. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, literally, like Norm Powell, Fred Lee, OG Ananobi, and like fucking Serge Ibaka was your bench, like. Yeah, look, I, I, what I will say is this, though. I'm fine with that to a point. Like, and then they, oh, I, also, to add real quick, sorry. Yeah. Um, they also, like, basically did a thing where, like, they extend those guys early, have them on, like, cheaper contracts than they were actually worth, and then all of them kind of hit at the same point. And then Kawhi leaves, and then they get better. Like, expecting that level of development from those players is, like, so rare and so, like, like, I get the idea of, like, not wanting to trade and develop from within, but, like, that level of development where, like, everybody peaks at the same time does not fucking happen. Yeah, I, I 
I, I will say I think it's okay to do that. Like I think the Knicks are actually in a position where they maybe should just do that next year, just play these young guys a bunch and be okay with that and see what happens. Um, that's what I want them to do in a very normal scenario where they don't. But you'd prefer to trade for Mitchell to that, I guess, right? Just it depends on the price. Depends on the price. Everything depends on the price. But like, if you have the opportunity to trade for a star, um, I mean, that's what you do. I mean, I, I promise you, if Memphis had the opportunity to trade for Donovan Mitchell. Like, they would want to do that, right? Like, every team wants to trade for a star. Even these, like, Memphis and all this shit. If they, like, they, they could lose this first round series. If they lose that first round series, you think they're going to be sitting here talking about their depth and bringing everybody back next year? Absolutely not. They'll, they will make a move. They have um, to make a move, basically. They have three picks yeah. this year. I mean, they traded Grayson Allen for, like, no reason and they got to get, basically uh, nothing back because they didn't want to pay him. And yeah. their cap situation. I mean, Josh yeah. probably going to get extended this summer too, right? He is. Right. He absolutely going to get extended this summer. Right. So and it's he's just like, max, so. yeah. So it's just like, you know, you it's it's everything is to a certain point. It's fine, but like, yeah. They, I mean, even the Toronto example, like they rolled the dice on Kawhi. That's why they won. The depth was great. Obviously, they had it still. And that team was blowing roster. it up. If they if like if they right. didn't win the championship, the team was blowing it up. Right. That, that so was the whole point. Like, they rolled the dice. Yeah. So at some point, you got to roll the dice. Um, Maybe you don't think that that time is now, and that's okay, and are just more focused on trading Julius Randle and shit like that, which is kind of where. And it I'm might at. not be the time. The time might not be now, but at the same time, like you look at the pick situation of this team, they just have like too many picks coming in to the point where it's like, okay, well, if you're just keep making picks without like doing anything, those picks won't play. Yeah, yeah, with you. All right, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, Tyrese, thanks for coming on. Thanks for allowing us to yell at you. Uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> let the people know where they can find you and uh, plug anything that you like to plug. Uh, you can find me at, at um, FBL underscore Sam on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I talk about betting a lot and I have a lot of good tweets. Oh, London's Theory on Twitter. Uh, yeah. I have nothing to promote right now except for like Strickland uh, draft stuff coming soon, hopefully, when I have time with grad school. Good to hear. Uh, Stacy, uh, I'll over there can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Yeah, as you guys know, Stacy Patton 89 on Twitter. Uh, I'll second Tyrese and say we have some exciting draft content coming up as we get geared up. And in the fact, in the case we keep the pick, there's a lot of interesting guys either at 11 or if we move into the top four. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the house of Ethan, by the way. <laughs> all right i have nothing to plug so i'll just plug all the work that plug your things. fucking mouth maybe thought about that that is awkward uh i'm gonna plug uh everything that everybody does the strickland other than tyrese who's terrible um that's great uh saw and, that one coming yes and i am going to also plug the fact that the nets fucking suck and i'm very happy they're down three nothing they deserve shit because they are shit, and um, they are a miserable, miserable team that is everything that is wrong with the state of the NBA currently, and oh. they oh. are getting their just rewards for it. And also, I, I, I must add, I must add, uh, fuck Spike Lee yes. for being a damn groupie, and if you actually think Spike Lee was right, if you think Spike Lee was right two years ago, you support Charles Oakley, and I feel like that's lame. Spike Lee Spike's- is lame. Spike, you gotta do the right thing, man. Spike hasn't put out good movies since the 90s, and that's all I have to say. Alright, that's our plot for today. Uh, I hope everybody has a great week, and I'll see you all again.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.